0: I woke up this morning feeling a little bit like not that amazing. Uh, so I actually, this is the, I told, I told Dawn and a few other people, this is the first time I ever woke up on a Sunday and was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this this morning. Um, uh, and so Dawn right away wrote a whole another sermon and we put that in the system too. And she, you know, it's stuff that she's uh, really good at. So if, if for some reason I faint or something, she'll come up and take over. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. I'm feeling a lot better now than I was, than I was then. Um, When I woke up, uh, thanks to some tea and being awake and drinking water and things like that. So this morning, uh, we actually want to take a week off of Romans. So we're not going to talk about Romans today. We will be back on that next week. and I'm gonna pick up next week where we left off in Romans 5 uh, and take a couple weeks, two or three more weeks to get through Romans 5 and get us into Romans 6. What's coming in Romans is really, really huge. It's very, very significant. And we wanna take our time with it and uh, also avoid like, covering really awkward topics on days like Mother's Day. So one thing that we try to do is uh, we're trying to be sensitive to uh, our calendar that we wanna stick in that series as much as possible, but also not be limited by it if some days it's like, hey, it's Mother's Day, we're going to do this, probably in July we'll do a ser- sermon that's not right in that series, and then even in October we might do a little mini-series that's not in Romans, because we, we want to do justice to the passage but not be locked into it with our calendar year. Since, of course, today is one of those days, today is Mother's Day, and we want to honor the moms in this place today, so happy Mother's Day. <laughs> moms. My mom, my wife, moms, thank you, thank you, thank you all, thank you. Your, uh, your sacrifice, I love that she said you're welcome, it's awesome, uh, your sacrifice does not go unnoticed, it, it truly doesn't. Your investment into your children, into our children, into the children of this community, it is paving the path for the future of our world. And I I believe that with all of my heart. And even though I know that sometimes days may often be filled with seemingly insignificant moments uh, and frustrating tasks, your faithfulness truly is creating world changers. You really are. And our children are our first ministry. Don and I have tried to try to stick with that, try to determine that. It should be like that for everybody. The children, even in our community, are our first ministry. Uh, we have been entrusted with these children, and, and I really believe that if you can get it right in your home, and if we can get it right in our home, then there'll be, then that'll be set up so much more to be able to do so much more in our, in our world. That's why we spend so much time, though, with kids at Courage Church, why we put such an emphasis on Kids Club. Uh, every Thursday in the summer, which is coming up, that's why we put such an emphasis on kids and all of the things that we do, because it matters. Kids matter, and children's ministry matters. And the work and the discipleship that's being done in your homes to your children, that matters. And um, if there are any ways that we can come alongside of you in that process, please let us know. You know, we truly are a body, and, and, we, and we genuinely believe that it does take a village to raise a child. So moms, thank you. Grandmothers, thank you. You've, you've, you've been there, you've been doing this for a very long time. It, it's, it's huge, the faithfulness that you pour into kids. Foster moms, people who have opened your home to someone whose mom is not around right now. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for taking in kids as if he or she is a member of your own family. Um, I know I, I, I read... And we've shared this statistic before, that if every church in America, if just one family in every church in America would just take in one foster child, every kid would have a home. And if that is you today, if you were that one, thank you, thank you for doing that. Single moms, single moms, moms who are raising kids all by yourself. You're our heroes. You are. Again, we're, we're here for you. If there's anything that we can do to help you along the way, please let us know. You know, we don't always get to choose all the hands that we're dealt, but the church exists as a body, and we're here to lift one another up. You know, Don's sister raised two kids for almost 10 years by herself and she did a lot of it in New York and so we were there and you know we came alongside what we could but we've seen how hard that is to do and um, praise God she's engaged now and that's that season's about to be over for her Um, but we've seen firsthand what that's like uh, and we've seen how hard it is and if you're walking through that right now we just want to say thank you for staying the course for loving those kids and for being Jesus to them Next, I want to thank, and I'm sure I'm going to forget somebody in all this list, but I want to thank all of the motherly mentors, uh, people who, whether you've had a child of your own or not, you've just been faithful to be a mentor and even to be a mother to somebody else, a student, someone from church, someone from uh, work, a kid, somebody from work's kid, whatever it might be, someone from the neighborhood you live in. Thank you. Thank you. And this, lastly for now, and again, I know I, I probably missed lots. I just want to speak just for a moment to those of us whose mothers are not with us anymore. And for those who have desired to be a mom, but never be, that never became possible for you. Or for moms who, God forbid, have lost a child. And uh, we, we know this is a very difficult day for some of you. And we love you. And if you need a shoulder to cry on, please cry on our shoulder. If you need someone to talk to, our team is here for you. Our body is here for you. That's, what, that's the reason we exist. We exist for one another and to uh, carry each other's burdens. So I, I do want to do something a little bit different today. It's not going to be that classic Moms in the Bible message. Like, we're not going to talk about Mary or Rachel or Sarah or any of those things today. It's going to be a bit different. And again, my head's a little bit foggy. Uh, it's been a very strange week anyway, so I'm not really sure what it is I'm actually going to say. And if, if, please forgive me if in, in the end you're just like, I don't even know what that was. What does he say? That, that was theologically off? I don't know what it might be. I'm going to do my best. But um Bear with me. Show me grace. Uh, But I I actually today really, what I've really been feeling this week with Mother's Day approaching and obviously now here is uh, I want us to take some time today to reflect a bit, to reflect on your family and on your life, to reflect and to think about the people who you care about and the people who you know care about you and think about what people mean to you. I think sometimes we fall into the trap of believing that God is not at work in our lives because we forget to remember all of the things that he's done in our lives. I think there are times when we fail to treat people that we love the way that they deserve to be treated because we, honestly, we just forget what it's worth. We forget what a person's worth. We forget what that person's worth. We forget how valuable they are and how lucky or, or how blessed we are to have The life that God has given us. And you can spend your entire life, you can spend your whole life focused on the pain and the obstacles because we all have them, and we don't want to downplay that because it's very real. We we understand the struggles that life brings, but for most of us, not all of us, I know that there's exceptions to this, but for most people, at the end of the day, when you really take time to count your blessings... We realize that God has done an amazing amount of work in our personal lives and in our worlds and in our families and in our church and in our communities. He's brought us a very long way. Like some of us are a over here and he's brought us all the way to here. And he's just gonna continue to bring us further and further and further and that's amazing. So what I want to do today is I want to read out of Ecclesiastes today. I'm going to read it out of Ecclesiastes 3. We're going to start in verse 10 and go through 14. And we don't spend much time in Ecclesiastes. Um, I think only one of the time we've ever done it before. It's because a lot of people don't really understand this book. And, and I'll try to give a little bit of, a tiny bit of clarity on that for you today uh, as we read. But I'm just going to start and I'm going to read for you. Uh, this passage is kind of sandwiched in between. It's a, we're going to read something very hopeful but it's kind of sandwiched between kind of some kind of very grim things. Uh, and I'm not going to read those things today, and there's a reason for that, and I'll explain it in a minute. So 3 verse 10 through 14 says this, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, the things he's given us to do. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Let's pray. Jesus Lord, thank you for your holy scriptures, Father God. Thank you that you breathe on the scriptures and literally, Lord, everything that was written back so many years ago. These ancient texts have such life application to us today. They can come alive to us today, God. And that's what we ask for today. We ask to find meaning in our own worlds from this ancient writing and in Holy Spirit, right now, I ask that you would speak through me in this place today. Father God, let everything that you would have me to say, let me say that uh, through all the cloudiness in my head and all that good stuff, let everything else just fall to the ground before it ever even comes out of my mouth, Lord. Let's speak to this body what they need to hear today and be evident in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So people are a bit confused at times about the book of Ecclesiastes because it seems at times to be very apathetic and maybe even a bit lethargic. Like, what's this guy's obviously been through some things and it's like, what's happening? Uh, it, 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 he, he doesn't, the, the writer who it might be Solomon, it's probably Solomon, but they're not, you know, 100% sure on who actually wrote uh, the book. But the, 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 it seems like the writer doesn't seem to think that life means a whole lot. And that, but then randomly, you get to passages like the one we just read, and he gets like really inspired, and he says something beautiful for a moment. But anybody who's familiar with that passage, kind of like I told you before, they know that the passage that I read is kind of sandwiched in there, um, uh, right in the middle of some really low moments. And then and then and then and then you know thoughts about suffering and things like that and then he gets right back into that again after this. Our uh, part right before this is that famous. Uh, it, it's a song. The, the time to be born, a time to die, um, you know, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a uh, time to be silent, a time to speak up. Like that's that part, which is it's beautiful, but um, but. But, and then you get this, and then at the, after that, you get to this part following, and it gets very grim, and it's about how basically under the sun, there is no justice. There's just not, there's no justice. And that's kind of what he says. He, he, says, he says there's no justice because what happens um, to those who do good and what happens to those who do bad, in the end, is ultimately the same. It ends up being the exact same for both. Ultimately, they all return to the dust. And every time this writer, he looks around and he sees the way that the world seems to be working, all he can see is injustice. All he can see are off-balance scales. You know, just yesterday, uh, my, my mom sent me a text message. Uh, she's saying how my, my sister and her, and her husband, Tad, are rushing into, into Michigan from Atlanta. They live in Atlanta, and they're rushing to town because Tad's um, sister had, had a baby, and the baby's on life support. And um, a couple of years ago, the same exact couple got pregnant. And the doctors told them the baby wasn't going to make it. And the baby, they, she delivered him all the way to the end, or carried him all the way to the end, delivered him, and, he, and the family, again, they rushed over to meet him. And then he lived about two months, and then he passed away, which is what the doctor said would happen. This time, the doctors, in this case, they believed the baby was healthy, but just before she was born, they realized, no, it's the exact same thing, the same exact genetic thing. And so uh, it's the same thing. So two full pregnancies resulting in absolute tragedy, an absolute heartbreak. Like those are the times when who wouldn't ask why? Why does this faithful couple have to go through the same exact thing two times in a row? You know, they're just trying to bring life into the world. It's the desire of their heart is to be parents, right? And yet some other people have children and they're born completely healthy and they don't even want the kids and they neglect the kids. That's what the writer's talking about. Injustice reigns in our world. Chapter four begins by saying the tears of the oppressed have no one to comfort them. You know, Don and I, we have a couple of friends in New York. It's kind of a similar situation, not to that extreme, but they're a couple of years older than us, and they really want kids, and they've always wanted kids, right? And then we, we Don and I moved to New York right around the same time as them, and they really want kids, and every time she would get pregnant, they would have a miscarriage. And then she'd get pregnant again, and they would have another miscarriage. And then for a while, they couldn't get pregnant at all, and then it, that just kept being what happened. And then they started trying all the different methods and the procedures and nothing was working for them. But yet that Don and I kind of show up in their world, we all moved to New York around the same time and we become very good friends. And so this couple who has the desire of their heart is to have a, a baby is now friends with us who we come in with a very healthy two-year-old baby. This is just Millie. And then as, as they're walking with us, they're further along in life than we are. They're older than we are. Um, they're watching us. we get pregnant, have a healthy baby. Then we get pregnant again and have a healthy baby. And the whole time for them, they're, it's not working at all. And they're just watching. And, and, we're, and we're trying to formulate this friendship. And we're trying to walk them through this, their infertility stuff and all that. And just be kind to them and be loving to them. But yet at the same time, um, we're just this reminder. of It works for some people. You know, while I was working on this talk yesterday, I was just at home, and uh, Eloise was at home with me. My my two, she's not two yet, she's almost two, and she came up to me and she asked for a drink. Now, Dawn's done a really good job of, like, teaching the kids communication and sign language, so she'll say, drink, drink, I want drink, and then she'll do the little, I don't know if that's what, it's very, it's like the sign language for, like, hey, I want a drink, so, so I, drop her, I stop what I'm doing, I go to the, the, uh, get her a cup, I put the cup under the water and give her the water, hand her the cup, and then I watch her. And she actually didn't want a drink, she actually just wanted water. She wanted water for her little toy boat. So she just didn't know how to ask for it besides to ask for a drink, so she didn't take a single drink of this. She took her cup, she set it on the ground, and then she put this little boat in there and let it just float around like that's what she wanted. That is The only way she knew to ask for it was by asking for a drink. And you know, after hearing all of this news, like about family and about our friends, and um, I kind of just sat there, and I was looking at her, and I was watching this happen with her, and and I just kept thinking, why do I get to do this? Like, why do I get this joy? And sometimes I get so used to it, I barely even appreciate it. Like I, I do, like I'm grateful for it, but like sometimes I don't even appreciate it for what it is, because that's just been one part of our lives that most, for the most part, has really just worked out for us. We've had a couple things that were tough, but like, for the most part, it's, it's just worked. And kind of the dilemma that the writer of Ecclesiastes is wrestling with, and, and actually, if you understand the way he's writing, he's literally wrestling with this. It, it's literally like a wrestling match between him and between himself going back and forth and back and forth. It, it seems like the writer's ultimate point, it seems like his point is, what is the point? What the heck is the point? Ultimately, some of us have those moments where our daughter's the sweetest thing in the world and she t- t- does the sign language, gets the cup of water, puts the boat in, lets it float around and plays. And others don't. But when it's all said and done, does it even matter? So why did I isolate this part that's hopeful? Because what we read was hopeful, at least i viewed it that way. When on both sides is something discouraging. Because the point of Ecclesiastes is not what is the point. The thesis of Ecclesiastes would read more like this. If this really is all there is, then what is the point? But the writer knows that there, this is not all that there is. And the writer actually writes this in such a way that I think it was Tim Keller who actually did, who said this, that, he write, that this writer's writing this like he's writing a one-man show, where like he literally plays both characters. Now, I don't know exactly what theater was in the day of Ecclesiastes. I know by Jesus, theater was basically done through masks, and it would always be one character. One character would play all the different parts, and they'd switch off the masks. But the writer of Ecclesiastes, what he's doing is he's playing a role of the antagonist and the protagonist throughout this writing. But ultimately, he knows which side he falls on. So what he does is he's actually using common sense arguments to connect with us in such a way that that he first says the things that we're probably thinking Probably because he's probably been thinking those too. He probably went through a lot of the same things that we did, so he feels those things, so he's writing the things. It's kind of like, like how when Paul writes and he'll, like, he'll like basically throw out all the things that you're gonna say to refute him and then he'll tell you why it doesn't work. It's actually kind of like that. But then he'll bounce back here in Ecclesiastes with something a bit more hopeful and very God-centric. So you'll you'll read this book if you're reading this poetry and you'll see it's very like it seems very secular, then all of a sudden God shows up. And then it seems very secular, and then God shows up with a greater purpose. And the reason for this bizarre writing style here is that. Is the the writer's point is not just to give you the answers in life. Like we all want to just find the answer. We want to open our Bibles and yes, Jesus is the light of the world, like that's an answer. But like we want to read the Bible and be like, okay, that's the answer. There it is. But the, the writer's goal is not to give you the answers in life, his goal is to help you find the meaning. His goal is not to tell you the meaning. His goal is to help the person who thinks that there is no meaning in life actually arrive at the meaning all on their own. It's to help you answer that question of is this it? Is this the end? Is this all that there is? And if this is not it, like if there really is something more, if the things that God said are true, really are true and there really is a kingdom that has no end, are we living for a kingdom that has no end? Are we living for the things that are eternal, or are we still living to the, for the things that we can't take with us when we go anyway? Because ultimately, people live most of their lives, most people, for things that ultimately are meaningless, and they know that they're meaningless. They know they're temporary. And wh- you know, whether God is your reason or God isn't your reason, I, I, I don't know very many people who will get to their deathbed and say, man, I wish I worked a few more hours. Or, I wish I bought that bigger house. No, the, the only thing that people are thinking about is that they wish that they'd spend more time with the people that they loved. I wish they, they wish that they had passed down more knowledge. They would have fathered differently. They would have mothered differently, whatever it might be, to the people that they love. They wish they would have made more investments into people. Those are the things that matter. It's not the stocks, not the houses. Because at the core of our being, we all know that the entire thing can burn as long as the people that we love are safe. And we'll be fine. Everything else can be replaced. I think that's why it's kind of insane when, uh, when anyone looks at a mom who just stays home with the kids full time, and they're like, what do you even do? Like, that's like the most absurd thing ever. That person should be like, I don't know, you know, probably punched and probably condemned to something and then probably place in her world for like a a month and see if they survive for even one day. uh, Because every single moment that you invest into a child is a moment that's invested into an eternal thing. We're all over here getting proud and puffed up about the work that we do at our job so that we can get these little pieces of paper that we can give to the bank so they let us keep living in the house that they loaned us the money to buy. And we're all like, this is, yes, this, this, I'm good. And I think work matters. I really do think work matters. It's, he says that at the, at the beginning. But people, the eternal stuff is what really, really matters. But notice what the writer says at the beginning. He says, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful. And especially in a world where not everybody is lucky enough to have kids, And others have them and they neglect them in order to create the lives that they want. We need to celebrate the ones, in my view, who embrace the gift of life that God has given them in whatever capacity that looks like. Listen, Ecclesiastes 3, 11, and 12 uh, is some of the most brilliant writing ever. There's so much wisdom in here. Verse 11 says that God makes everything beautiful in its time. And then it says that uh, God has placed eternity on the hearts of man, See, we know, we know in our hearts that something, something about it is forever. Something about it will not end. There is no end. But yet it's something that we can't comprehend and that's what he's trying to communicate here. Because we know that, we can't get it because in this life we know, like, okay, people are born and then people die. So it seems like there is an end. People are born and then people die. And, something about how it all works together, how eternity works, it's just a bit beyond what most of us can fully grasp. And it's supposed to be that way. You know, one of our key words that we've been looking at a lot, particularly in our Roman study, has been the word glory. You know, Paul Paul says, I believe in Corinthians. He says that man is the image and the glory of God. Uh, so we've been created in the image of God. We've been created to reflect God. God is reflected in us. And as we're fruitful and we multiply and we reproduce and we make disciples of Jesus who can actually do the work that's on God's heart of bringing heaven to earth and meet practical needs here on earth now and we show people love now, what we're doing is we're actually filling the whole earth with the glory of God. Like we've, we've built the whole case for that during the Roman series. But there's something about the glory of God that even though we're multipliers of it, we just don't quite get it. In, in, in Hebrew, uh, glorious kavod, it's doxa in, in Greek. It literally, it literally just means to be heavy or weighty. It means this, is too, this weighs too much. There's, this is beyond anything that I can actually carry myself. I can't carry it or it will knock me right down if I even try. You know, there's there's an image of this in Exodus 33. We have Moses and Moses is talking to God, and he says, "God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory." And God responds to him, and he says, "I will make your I will make my goodness pass before you, but you cannot handle my glory. You can't see my face. I'm just that powerful. But I'll give you a taste." That's what God says. He says, "I'll give you a taste, Moses. I'll give you a taste." You know, there's something to this entire thing that's just bigger than we are. Something about life that's just bigger than we are. Something about parenting that's just bigger than we are. When you look at your kids and you look at your family and you look at, you realize you're really, literally reproducing the spreading the glory of God through these children. Like there's something about that that's bigger than we are. But that's what the writer's saying here is: you're not going to understand everything that there is to know about God, and you couldn't, uh, you couldn't handle everything uh, there is to know about God, even if you did understand it because when you when you look to the sky and i've said this before right you should feel so small in comparison to all that god has created like that that's the glory of god and suddenly when you look and you see how vast the universe truly is you realize that god is just so big that he would create all of this yet at the same time he would still care enough for you that he would lay down his life for you that he would die for you like how can that be But I love the writer's take here because what he tells us is that life is a gift. And even though we don't understand why we would even have it, right, why God would do any of the things that God does, those of us here who are on the recipient of the gift of life, which is all of us, we should respond accordingly. Because I perceive there is nothing better for them. This is how you should act in light of the fact that God has done all this for you. You should be joyful and you should do good as long as you live. You know, I think we get so caught up on theology, and and, you know, we're studying the book of Romans so deep, and I want you to understand every single line, and I hope you do. But I think that we can get so caught up on that that we forget to stop, to look around, to smell the roses sometimes, and actually take time to enjoy the life that we've been given. Enjoy the sunny days. Enjoy the rainy days. Enjoy the snowy days because it means you get to have an extra cup of coffee and sit by a fire. Guys, it is almost the middle of May and I turned my fireplace on yesterday. (laughs) Enjoy that cup of coffee. It's been like 36 months of winter. We got to change that, right? The word for joy, it literally just means to rejoice here, the word he uses here in the Hebrew. It means to rejoice. It means cheer up if you're down. It means be glad. Acknowledge the gift and be grateful for the gift. But it's also not just about being joyful. Because life is not just about you creating something that makes you feel good. It's not just about barns and bigger barns and a peaceful life. Where everything that you want, you have. It's not just about being content, though you should be content. But it is also about doing good. It's also about the world out there that needs us to go out there to help make it better. You know, some, some people translate this to mean good as in what's good uh, for you, as in you do what's good for you, you build the kind of life you can enjoy, because that does seem to be consistent kind of with what the writer is saying, um, um, more so than to say do good in the world. But I would argue this. I would argue that the only way you will ever find purpose in your life is if you find it in something other than yourself. That's why having children is such an illuminating moment for people who are blessed enough to have them. Because it changes your life. You, you look at this child and you realize, okay, my life no longer can just be about me. I can't just go wherever I want to go. I can't do, I can't just, it no longer is it. I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll have fun and I'll go out and I'll stay all the day as late as I want. No, none of that stuff happens anymore. Well, you need to take that same approach to the gospel, because the reality is, like, if a child, if you keep living that way when the child is born, then that child will not survive. He, the child needs you to step into his world and make your entire life about his world. And that is how I believe we need to view the gospel of Jesus Christ to our broken world. We need to view our, the people in our community that way. People who are far from God, they need to experience God. And our lives need to be about making sure that they experience God in that same way that Our kids need us to nurture them and to love them. You know, people who don't have a mom, they need someone to step into their lives and love them as if they were their own child. You know, life is going to have ups and life is going to have downs. And the church needs to be the constant. We need to learn how to be the constant in those moments in the same way that parents have to learn to be the constant in the home when things are going well and when they're not. But I would encourage you this morning, please, just look up. Look around. See the love that God has poured out upon your life and the life that he's given you because it is all grace. Just reflect on that. Think about that. Think about what God's done for you. In closing, I'm going to tell a story. A a few weeks before we moved to Detroit, uh, we sent Dawn to Detroit with my mom to find a house so that we could move straight into our house from New York. We, want, we didn't want to have to like rent something or I, know I told you guys the story of the Airbnb and all that, I didn't want to have to do all that. Um, we wanted to move right in. So, so my, mom found, my mom is a realtor in Lansing and so she uh, connected us to a realtor here and then the kind of Don flew there and the three of them worked together to find us a place to live here. Uh, so while Don was gone actually, the, my daughter cut her own hair She just, she, and, and, and me being the dad and not the mom, I didn't even notice that she had cut her hair. She, like, Dawn took that picture after she got back, and the only reason, and and, and when Dawn got back, she actually found the hair. Like, the hair was just, like, out in the apartment. I didn't see the hair. I didn't notice the hair. I didn't know anything. She actually found the physical hair. That's kind of the difference between moms and dads. Dads don't even realize it when the kids burn the whole house down, and kids notice, or moms notice when their kids clip their nails. Like, that's kind of the difference, that's, that, that's just how it goes. But anyway, I, I was, uh, she was here in Detroit and I was in New York. And the house that we had kind of settled on ended up falling through. It just didn't happen. And she ended up coming back to New York without us having a house. And I told her, don't come back to New York without us having a house. Yeah, Right. <laughs> So I told her not to do that. And of course, when I finally moved to Detroit myself and got here, I realized how hard it was. And the, the city is nuts. It's a little bit crazy. But uh, we, we were not really any further along when she came back. And I was a bit frustrated by that. And to be honest, I was really frustrated at everybody involved. I was frustrated at the realtor. I was frustrated at my mom, the other realtor. I was frustrated at my wife. I was frustrated at everybody. i like, why don't we have a house? I was just upset. And I remember it was a Monday. It was the first, first day of Millie's spring break. And Don was getting ready to come home. And it was an absolutely beautiful day in Brooklyn. So I went for a walk with the kids. And I, I was taking the kids for a walk. And as we were walking, my mom called. And she probably doesn't remember this because she like shuts out the bad moments, right? But my mom called me. And I don't even know what she said. Uh, it had to do with the house. I got really kind of snappy with her. I was really mean. I was really mad. I don't know why. I was just really frustrated. Like, so the woman who like gave me life and was like there for me and all these things, I, I was mean to her. I remember it very well. Uh, it was unpleasant, at least. Then maybe an hour later, we're walking, we're in downtown Brooklyn now. We went to grab the Shake Shack of the Lord. Those before we had it here, so it was really, yeah, we, I had to get as much of it as I could before we moved. And then Don calls, and I'm the exact same way to her. i was just not the person to talk to that day, apparently. Just was not I was was not good. So so now so now I've been really snappy, really rude to the person who gave me life, the person who mothered me, the person who the person who gave my kids life, the person who sticks by me even when I'm snappy and mean. Um, and I was just so frustrated because I felt like nothing was falling into place, and I had no idea what to do. And so then that evening, I would taken the kids to the park, and uh, at this park, it was just it was absolutely beautiful out, and this park has, like, all these different parks, like, uh, it added, it's like five or six different parks, and the kids, of course, naturally all go to different par- parts of it, so in order for me to do it, I had to, like, stand on this picnic table so I could see all of them, so I was, like, watching and circling, okay, there's Fiona, okay, there's Millie, okay, there's Brooklyn, like, that's how it went, right, and I was taking it in, and I was so excited, I'm like, what a beautiful beautiful, beautiful day. I was stoked because it was like 65 and sunny, and I was thinking, okay, we're good. Look, we're going to have an awesome week. Dawn's on our way back. She was going to meet us at the park when she landed, and we're going to have a beautiful week because it's spring break, and the weather's amazing. And so, I, I But for whatever reason, I decided I'm going to just double check the weather. So I get on my phone, and I check the weather for the week, and I'm super excited to see the weather, and this is what it said. It said, Tuesday, 40, rain, Wednesday, 45, rain. Thursday, 42, cloudy. Friday, 44, cloudy. Saturday, 49, and rain. You know, I had one day that week worth going outside for. And I spent it frustrated about a situation beyond anybody's control and taking it out on the people that I love the most. But when I stared at that weather report, and I, I remember I wrote these numbers down. I thought I took a picture of it, but I couldn't find it. But I can't find any of my pictures, so that's what happens. But I remember I stared at that weather report, and I just distinctly remember hearing these words to myself when I, as I read this. I was like, man, you only get so many sunny days. You only get so many chances to go to the park with your kids and let them rage around before the park's not cool to kids anymore. You only get so many chances to thank your mom for doing the hard work of helping you find a house and not charging you a dime for it even though she should be getting paid a bunch for it. You only get so many chances for, to thank your mom for being like Jesus, giving up everything for you for all those years. You only get so many chances to do that. You only get so many chances to thank your wife for flying from New York to Detroit and all by herself trying to navigate this crazy city and figuring out a house for us. And some of you have been looking for houses for years. You know how hard it is now. I didn't know. You only get so many chances, so many days. So many chances to hug your kids and tell them you're proud of them. So many days to go after what God's destined you for and placing your heart to do. So many days to tell the ones that you love, that you love them. And it's not that the days are meaningless, the days are not meaningless. It's that our time on this earth is limited. And there's a very big difference Some people only get a few hours on this earth. Some people get a few days, a couple months. Some get 80, 90 years or more. But it's because they're limited that they should be treated with so much value. I mean, is that not how we view everything? If the product is limited, the value increases, right? And there's nothing more valuable in our lives on this earth than time. You know, I think there's something here to what the writer says when he says, listen, God endures forever, and what God does endures forever. And God can literally do every, anything that he wanted. And yet, God would choose to make you the object of his creativity. Say, I can do anything I want, and I'm going to make my greatest creation man. I'm going to make you. I'm going to make people. I'm going to make each and every individual person. And then, after doing that, he would then choose to make you the object of his affection. The one whom his very son would die for. Now, that is just absolutely incredible. Ecclesiastes says that every day is a gift from God to man. He wants you to look around and realize that the purpose is people. It's your own children. It's the children in our community. It's the people in our community. It's the world in which God has placed you in so that you can impact you know, as a church, and we have a lot of announcements and stuff we're going to talk through in a little while, but we have actually quite, quite a few new interns coming this summer. Um, as of now, more than we've ever had before, and we're really excited. Like, the application on our website, it's not even front and center. Like, you got to go dig for it and find it, and we keep getting applications from people who want to come, and we're accepting them, a lot of them. They, they find it. And, and, and we, next week we have a team of people who are co- like of high school students coming, and we're going to share with them what we're doing. Who knows what's going to happen? We have several teams the entire summer. Who knows what God's going to put on people's hearts, but we are praying that it's Detroit, at least for some of them. And we're praying that it's Courage Church. God is doing something right now. My wife and I, we've been talking about this a lot. He's never, never have we felt more confident that the harvest is coming than we are right now as a church and as a community. And again, there's a lot of things we're going to start rolling out and talking to you guys about, but we need people who will mentor and disciple. Interns, who will mentor and disciple students, who will mentor and disciple the young people in our church, who will mentor and disciple and hold each other accountable in in general as life. We need spiritual moms. We need spiritual dads who help us raise up the people who will help us move the mission of God forward in our community and beyond. And, And we want you all to pray about that. We want you to pray about opening your homes for a meal and pouring into other people because life is not just about what we create and to create our own joy, but how can we actually do good and create joy for somebody else? I'm telling you guys, the time is now. The sunny days are now. I know today's not very sunny, but the sunny days are now. They're here. The harvest is here. And in your own life, you know, if you feel like there just hasn't been a harvest... Like, it's just been so hard. Then let us pray with you today. We want to pray with you. Let us believe together that God will bring to fruition the things that He's put on your heart. And He will breathe new life into circumstances that perhaps feel broken. Man, I just, I just want to encourage you today, moms, parents, spiritual parents, mentors, teachers, those of you who are weary. That the investment that you've made into your children and into your students and your spiritual kids and the kids in your community and the kids in our neighborhood and the kids in your neighborhood and the kids at Kids Club on Thursdays and at the events, it has not been in vain. Every seed that is planted will bear fruit in its due season. We don't control the harvest. You guys know that. We can, but we we will be faithful with what we plant, and we will be faithful with what we water. And I'm positive that there will be moments in all of those kids' lives. Maybe it's 10 years down the road, or maybe it will be tomorrow, when they're going to find themselves not knowing what to do in a circumstance, and they're going to remember something that you told them, or they're going to remember you, and they're going to call you, or whatever it might be, and it will get them through. You know, it's so easy to convince ourselves that the things that we do don't matter, that the things we do won't last but they will. And it will. Keep loving. Keep serving. Keep showing Jesus to people. Keep parenting people. Keep parenting kids. Keep parenting your kids. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going.